What's up, witches, and welcome to Witch Space. I'm Gemini. And I'm Scorpio, and today we are talking about the book The Crooked Path, An Introduction to Traditional Witchcraft by Keldon. I love a good one name, like a Madonna. I was love just that. thinking, yeah. So, Keldon, first of all, I love the cover. It is really beautiful. We'll post a picture on Instagram because it's like, it's a vibe. Yeah. And once you read the book, or if you know something about traditional witchcraft, you'll know what they all mean, what all the symbols in the front mean. Yes. Which I think is really cool. So why traditional witchcraft? Why this book? I do not remember why this book. I want to say this book was recommended by a traditional witch. I, I think actually, yes. Yeah. Um, and why? Because... You know, a lot of our focus has been, why does everything have to be Wiccan-centered? Everything is not Wicca. And I think that we don't really talk a lot, or we don't really hear a lot of talk, I guess, about traditional witchcraft. Or maybe it's the, maybe I'm wrong, maybe they talk a lot about it, not enough about Wicca, I don't know. But I feel like it needs equal footing, and we really haven't given it any attention. Yeah, absolutely. I think this year has been a lot of, like, really delving into other paths, and... When you read this book and then you think back to the first year of our podcast, it's sort of like this timeline runs concurrently. So like traditional witchcraft is the closest thing to Wicca I think we've talked about while also being very far away from it. Yes, I agree. And I also think if people don't know anything about traditional witchcraft, it's a good time to start talking about it. I don't think this is going to be the last time we talk about traditional witchcraft. Um, Absolutely. Especially when you look within the book, there are so many references. I know you were going crazy with that, all the different oh, footnotes. Oh, Obsessed. Yeah. So I know this cannot be the last time we talk about it, but I do think, I mean, it's called an introduction to, and I think it's a great introduction to. I mean, I'm going to say it right now. I loved this book. This book, I'm going to come back to. They have exercises after every chapter. Which are awesome. I did some of them. Did you? I did not have time to, but okay. I really would like to. So I have like little sticky notes on the pages so I know what to come back to. Yeah, I'm going to do some of these. I mean, I did some, but I want to do more of these. So yeah, so just before we even get started, I loved it. So it, you, we're getting into this podcast with that in mind that I really liked it. So all right. So let's start. Do you have a quote, Scorpio? Well, first of all, I just want to talk a little bit about Keldon. Oh, that's um, true. Yeah. Keldon is an author whose work has appeared in Modern Witch Magazine. A blog called Athame and Stang on Patheos Pagan. So this person has written a bunch of stuff. Actually, let's take a minute mm-hmm. because I don't think we've ever talked about Patheos Pagan. On oh, the okay. All right. Do you read Patheos Pagan? Nope. So I used to read it a lot more in college. Um, obviously, like I don't have free time anymore, guys. So I don't do a lot. Um, but I used to read Patheos Pagan all the time because it's like. For me, it was the only pagan sort of publication out there, um, especially at the time I was reading it, which was like a million years ago. Um, Patheos Pagan like conglomerates all of these different people practicing all of these different paths and basically gives them a blog platform. And if you're looking for something like that, like if you want to get, um, I'm sure you can get Patheos Pagan like emails where they tell you the updates for the day. Like that's a really nice thing to do because there's so many options if you're like, if you're Christian and you want to be like, oh, you know, send me, I want to read about, uh, you know, Christian theology on the internet. Like that's super easy to find. But 
Patheos Pagan was like the first time that I realized like oh, I could read about paganism that people are writing about in one place. Um, so for me, finding that Keldon was writing there is like, oh, this is this is like um, I was about to say clout. Like this is uh, a validation that I'm going to like what's happening because I do really like Patheos Pagan. Oh, that's good to know. I don't read anything related to witchcraft, <laughs> uh, magazines, blogs. That's what I mean. I mean, obviously, mm-hmm. I read books. I guess because I was a witch before the internet, mm-hmm. which, God, that sounds like, how is that possible? It's like saying I was a witch before the wheel was invented at this point, you know? No. So, you know, witch before the internet. I just never did that. And as far as magazines, I remember if I ever saw a magazine, I would pick it up. But there were usually zines and I don't know. I just, and now that we have a podcast, I definitely don't, I try not to read stuff. I don't want to be influenced. Yeah. And I've said it before. This is so funny though. What? Because like I never read books. When I started as a witch, I only read stuff on the internet. So we're like opposites. Yeah. Oh, that's wild. Huh. Well, yeah. And, you know, and like I've said before, I don't listen to podcasts for the same reason. I don't want to be influenced. Yeah. So I feel like I'm missing out on like some really good conversations, but that's why. Anyway, one thing we didn't mention was the book came out in 2021. So New book. We're killing book. this new book thing. I think so. All right. So quote. So I liked something that he said in the foreword. Mm-hmm. So they said, Pre-Gardnerian, or the old craft, typically emphasized operative cunning, less formalized ritual, and agnostic mysticism, drawing upon the virtues and hidden presences of the landscape, the spirit world, and folkloric practices. So the foreword is actually by Gemma Gary, mm-hmm. um, who is another, I think, Patheos Pagan member, a friend of Keldon. Um, it's a very interesting distinction to see that from like a traditional witchcraft perspective so what is traditional witchcraft and they talk about the crooked path and they say it's a crooked path for three reasons one moral ambiguity they can help they can hex and i kind of feel like that's well i mean they address it later in the book this whole idea that you know wiccans don't hex i think every witch hexes at some point you know? At some point, you just go ape shit. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, so that's one reason it's called the crooked path. So it's, you know, it's not straight. It's not like a straight answer. You know, it, there's going to be some wiggle room on, you know, how mm-hmm. you feel about things. The second, it describes a slightly off-kilter worldview of traditional witches, which allows to see the spirit realm. Again, I'm like, so Wicca doesn't talk about spirits? Like, I just kind of felt like I'm not really seeing a difference in these descriptions. Why are you smiling like that? Okay, here she goes. Do we want to start right now? Yes, we want to start right now. My biggest problem with this book is that I don't think it actually convinces me that traditional witchcraft and Wicca are not the same thing. Oh, okay. (laughs) I like that you went there. Okay, so let's keep talking about the book and let's keep seeing. Okay. Yes. Um... I'm having a hard time reading my own handwriting. If you're noticing these pauses, it has nothing to do. So here's the thing. I'm trying to do this. I've got my book and my notebook. The dog has decided it has to be all over me. 
And I'm mm-hmm. writing like I'm like my hand is not in a good spot, so my bad handwriting gets even worse. Okay, so traditional witches. I, I read it. Okay. The best part is I'm cutting out all of the spaces, so the audience doesn't hear spaces. They just oh. hear you reading normally, uh, and I'm not cutting this part out either. That's fine. It's funny. It is funny. <laughs> so, also because traditional witches, they kind of snake between nature and the other world. So the idea of the other world, I think, is definitely different. From Wicca, I don't think that there really is a, dis- a discussion on the other world. Like, mm-hmm. anyway, we'll keep going and we'll see because, you know, for all the things that are different. Anyway, <laughs> we could just do it. We could just go right now. No, I want to. I want to keep talking about it. So, and okay. also, it's a difficult practice to succinctly define, and I think that's where the problem comes in. Now, one of the yes. things that they mentioned. And I'm going to be jumping forward before we go back again. And I'm trying to find my notes. But the development, right? So you have Gardner. Yep, Gardner's in there, folks. Mm-hmm. Gardner, who learned from traditional witches, did Wicca, got Doreen Valiente in there. Of course, he's a jerk to her. She leaves, although we know she's problematic. We've discussed that as well. But she leaves and then gets initiated or joins some traditional witches. So you kind of have this Reese's peanut butter cup type of thing, right? We've got peanut butter, chocolate. Is it peanut butter in my chocolate or chocolate in my peanut butter? I I think that it's, it's kind of a toss up. So I will say chapter two is fantastic mm. from a historical perspective, because I don't really think I knew about these people before reading the book. And they are literally contemporaries of Gardner and Doreen Valiente and like the founders of Wicca, which then becomes the modern neo-pagan movement. Right. So just for that chapter alone, I'm like, yeah, you should read this book because, you know, Keldon talks about the fact that some of these people didn't write books so we don't have books to be like on the podcast oh well you know here's robert cochran's book or here's a uh, cecil williamson's book like we they didn't have those right. so we don't have an option to be like well this is part of the history um so it, it sort of illuminates something that i think has been a little bit hidden and that maybe that's the whole point of traditional witchcraft is illuminating the secret parts of wicca oh i mean we'd have to ask a traditional witch yeah how they feel about that. I would not, you know, say yes or no to that. Hey, I don't traditional know. witches, if you want to be on the podcast, <laughs> hit us reach up. Out. Okay, so I will say this. I think one of the reasons why I did not want to read a book for a long time on traditional witchcraft is that I have only really known, and I can't say that they were like a best buddy of mine or anything, mm-hmm. but I knew this one traditional witch, and he's an asshole. I mean... Just straight up cocky without, I had no basis, and Mm -hmm. just a jerk. Like, okay, so he was doing this class, and it was online with a bunch of other people, and somebody asked, should I keep my deck? Like, they're starting out. Should Mm -hmm. I keep my deck someplace, you know, special, like a special box? Should it be, um, should I, I don't know, consecrate it or something? And he's like, no. And the first thing I thought of was, first of all, be kind. Okay, this person yeah. is entering. 
their tradition, whatever it is. I don't know what type of witch they were. And I think it's a great idea because I think that it separates your mundane life from your spiritual life. And in the beginning, I'm like, now, yes, I throw my decks everywhere. I don't have a special bag. I don't. Yeah. But in the beginning, I did. And there was something about starting tradition for yourself and taking that time to treat your tools with respect that I yeah. think that if you're drawn to it, I'm not saying you should do it, but if you're drawn to it, if you're asking the questions, like if somebody had asked me, I would say, well, why do you feel a need to do that? If you feel that you want to separate, I think it's a great idea. If you feel like, well, no, I thought we had to, I would say no. Put it wherever you want, right? So the fact that he was so dismissive, it was just everything he mentioned. And every time he brought up traditional witchcraft, I just thought, well, if they're like you, I don't want anything to do with it. Like, that was really my thought. So only nice traditional witches are allowed to reach out to us. If you're a dick, (laughs) don't message us. Well, if you're a a dick and you're wicked, I don't want to hear from you either, you know? Like, I just think, why are you mean to somebody who is reaching out to you? Like... You've put yourself out there. It's not like you're walking down the street and someone's bothering you. You have decided to be part of this group online that was going to go live. And I was on there to support them because I knew the people that were doing it. So I was like, I'll I'll watch the support. And I was so pissed when I saw that because I just thought, Mm -hmm. how dare you? You know, like this is why people get turned off or they say bad things about witches because they're coming to you with an honest question. What does it take to just be kind? Yeah, Uh, This is, that's something that I very much had to work to get over because I've I've said it a hundred thousand times I started, uh, you know, witchcraft in like the early 2000s and at that time it was very like anti-newbie. Like you, it was very much like if you don't know all of the information, you haven't done all the research, fuck off. Um, It's fluffy bunnies. We used to make fun of fluffy bunnies, people who were brand new and just wanted to try everything and didn't do the research. Um, but like as a human being, I'm actively working to not be a dick to other human beings. Like that's the, the witch or no witch. You just have to be a nice person. Well, I don't think that I'm a nice person. You have to be a kind person. You're right. Nice is bullshit. Nice is bullshit. But as a New Yorker, I'm not particularly (laughs) nice to people. However, however. We do this podcast. If we choose, look, if I'm in stop and shop getting my groceries and you stop mm-hmm. me, I'm probably going to be super nice. But if you start asking me a bunch of questions, I'm going to be like, dude, I'm doing my grocery shopping. Like, I have yeah. a million things to do. But whenever we've gone to a Moon Serpent and Bone or we've gone to Oddities Markets, whenever we go mm-hmm. somewhere, I am totally ready to talk to anybody who wants to talk to us. I am excited to talk to people. Yeah, because I have chosen to do this podcast and I have chosen to go out in public as Scorpio. Yeah. So if I'm doing that, then how dare I be nasty to somebody because they recognize me or they like that's wrong. If you're having a bad day, don't go. Just don't go. Yeah, I think it's that simple. You know, even if we've promised somebody we're going, call up and say, I can't for whatever reason, I can't go. And do you know what's so funny? This actually is relevant to the book because one of the big – in the chapter two, one of the big sort of breaks is when Cecil Williamson and Gerald Gardner have a falling out. Oh, yes. Should we jump to that? Is there anything that we're missing in between? Um, um, So the first chapter is all about, like, defining traditional witchcraft. And real talk, it doesn't. um, But I think that's the point. 
And then there's the fun exercise at the end that's like, oh, you should define it. And I think that's a perfect ending. Well, I do want to say one thing that I really enjoyed here. And that is, and I, and I even wrote Gemini thoughts. I wanted to get your thoughts on it. But anyway, it says mm. that basically traditional witchcraft, well, I'll just read the thing. Like yeah. folklore, witches exist in the liminal space between fact and fiction. And traditional witchcraft taps into the stories of folklore as a means of learning more about working magic and connecting with the world of spirits. And I really like that. You know, they really focus on folklore, they're saying yes. here. So I thought that was really cool. The fact that to some degree, yes, Gardner has talked about that as well, but not as much. So that's really where witches come from. And what I find delicious about that is that as we get into the book, we'll talk about that's where we get the idea of like witches working with the devil and what does that mean yes. and what is hell and what is. So I loved that witches are coming from folklore, which I think for some witches, it's like, oh, it's taboo. Like, don't look at folklore. Mm -hmm. But I mean, I've said it to my students when we go from nonfiction to fiction, I tell them the hopes, the dreams, the fears of a society live in the fiction, live yeah. in literature. And that's what folklore is. So that's something that I wanted to mention from the very beginning. I'm trying to think of this anything else. Because then they talk about working with magic, low magic or folk magic. Yes. Um, what else? And is I think, so my whole big, as I said, my whole thing on this book is I don't think that it does a good job distinguishing between traditional witchcraft and Wicca. Mm -hmm. And I think that part of the problem is because a lot of it, like they, Keldon does reference a lot of different um places on earth right in the different stories that show up in the different chapters mm -hmm. um he references medea um references um baba uh, baba yaga is how you say that um but it all just feels very like anglo-celtic hmm. and that's my problem because i think if it was really i think the idea of traditional witchcraft being a practice based in folklore is delightful i think that's probably how i would define it right is witchcraft based in folklore but when you take when you're focused specifically on like anglo-celtic folklore you're that's also wicca yeah but isn't uh baba yaga um slavic yes and i mean reference medea as well which is greek but right referencing the stories and the way the foundation comes are two different things Okay. I almost, you know what's so stupid? I almost would have preferred not to have chapter two, even though I think chapter two is a foundationally important piece of information yeah. about the history of witchcraft. But I think it sets you up in a mindset of Wicca, of Anglo-Celtic. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, but that also comes from the whole Reese's peanut butter idea. Like, you know, and, right. and he even says it a different way. He says he calls it a tree trunk. Yes. Like two tree trunks growing from the same base. You have traditional witchcraft and Wicca. So it really is, it's it's enmeshed. But I mean, I hate to say this. There are aspects of traditional Wicca that, I mean, look at what I just did. Traditional Wicca. Traditional <laughs> yeah. witchcraft that I really, really liked. But so yeah. first of all, the two events happened in 1951 that even got witchcraft started. And that is the Witchcraft Act of 1735 that um, repealed the whole thing of witches being yes. against the law, and opening of the folklore center of superstition and witchcraft on the Isle of Man, which is exactly where Gardner got his ideas together with ceremonial magic, and then he made his his soup. Of course, the main difference is going to be 
traditional witchcraft is a magical practice. You can have religion in it, but it's a magical practice. And I think when we're talking about Wicca, we're talking about a religious, spiritual practice that has magic in it. I think when we're talking about British traditional Wicca, we're talking about a religious practice. But mm. I do think uh, neo-Wicca, ne like neo-eclectic Wicca, tends at best to be a spirituality. Yeah. I think a lot of times Wicca, especially now, I mean, from 2000 on, but especially now, is more about the magic than it is about the the religious aspect. And I think that's part of the problem for me is I don't, I almost treat British traditional Wicca and Neo-Wicca as two separate groups. Okay. And traditional witchcraft looks a lot like Neo-Wicca. Mm. Look, I, I don't know what anybody's doing anymore. You know, I don't True, know, I don't know what's happening. You know, I, so that's why I'm like, yeah, okay. Because, yeah, I, I don't know. It's a really, it's a very good book. Like, I'm talking a little smack because I think that, that it's very, they're all very close together in this viral. Yeah. But it is a very interesting book. I love um, it. Okay, so there are three key elements of traditional witchcraft, since we're still talking about, like, how is it? Yes. One, they work with magic, <laughs> low magic and folk magic. This is what they do, right? They have key ritual practices, because they don't really do ceremonial magic, but they have three. Compass round, which I would say is, you know, creating the circle for yeah. Wicca. Treading the mill, which is getting into a trance-like state. So you can raise magical power. And the housel, yes. which is giving offerings to spirit. So right there, I'm like, okay, some of it is Wicca. Some of it sounds like a lot of indigenous practices, this idea of yes. you know, giving offerings to spirits because in the spirits you have the ancestors. And we're going to get to that in a little bit. So mm -hmm. that's that. Okay, so that's one element, working with magic. Two, working with the other world. They visit the other world. So it's not just like this place that is over there. It's a place they go to. And spirits include gods, ancestors, familiars, and fetch spirits. And I love that. Fetch spirits are so cool. Yeah. So first of all, I do think that um, sort of the hedge witch aspect of traditional witchcraft mm -hmm. is a distinct difference between it and wicca i don't yeah. think wicca really has a hedge practice at all no um hedge witchcraft specifically being like traveling to other worlds um spirit world liminal space whatever um because you walked the hedge that was the the phrase but um the fetch spirit is so cool because i've heard the word before but i don't think i've ever really had a definition so the idea that the fetch spirit is you yeah is very cool i always assumed that it was just like its own little like a fetch you know like it's going to get things mm -hmm. but it's you going to get things you're the fetch part of you is the fetch and yes i will be doing that little exercise oh, and you have to tell us all about it yeah i'm doing that and the third thing is working with the natural world which okay so they said that in wicca i'm trying to remember how they said it what did they say about wicca and the natural world it's like they don't really work in the natural world yes which is another place for me where i was like this is the difference between british traditional wicca and mm. neo wicca because neo wicca is a nature-based religion right british traditional wicca is a fertility religion so there you go 
So there's something. I got in a lot of trouble saying that at 17 years old to somebody. They were like, Wicca's a nature religion. What are you talking about? I was like, no, it's the original Wicca is a fertility religion. It's all about God and goddess fucking each other. And then how does that affect reality? Like that's it's all about the birth cycle. Right. Which can be is natural. I'm not saying it's not natural, but that's what it's based on. What I thought was really good here, and I don't remember where it is. I think it's towards the end. They talk about how the wheel of the year is cool and all, but you've got to have your own wheel because depending on where you are, the holidays mm-hmm. may not fall. And that's true. You know, when it's Sarwin just passed, but somebody I know in Australia was like, you know, it's Beltane, you know? Yeah. So you've got to have the wheel make sense if you are working with nature. And I always said one of the things I love about the wheel of the year is that you know, we're in New York. Yes, it's fall when it's supposed to be fall, even though sometimes it hits 75 degrees. Which was absurd. Okay. <laughs> Which I hate. And rude. I know, right? <laughs> but we know that it's fall, right? The leaves have changed. It is getting colder. The days are getting shorter. So I don't yeah. have to adjust the wheel of the year. I did make mention of that when I talk about my full moon and new moon practices with the Taino people, because... For them, let's face it, in the Caribbean, you don't have these changes. So their wheel of the year was different. I can't adopt that wheel of the year. One, I'm not in Puerto Rico. Two, um, what am I doing? I'm I'm not then being true to the land here. So I think that's why I always felt that I really enjoyed the wheel of the year because it was my wheel as well. It makes sense to us, yeah. Right. But I can totally see saying, okay, I, I can't follow this if I'm somewhere else. You know? Anyway. Yeah. So chapter three, magical basics, ethics. I loved that it had ethics. Why? Yeah. Because they already said they threw out the whole, you know, and ye harm none and comes back yeah. to you threefold. But they say it. Look, you can do whatever you want. No one's going to tell you you can't. Do whatever. But hey, everything's got a consequence. You're willing to pay the price and do whatever you want. And that's something my mother always said to me, because my mother has done some things that I've been like, Ma, I can't believe like you did such and such. And she'll go, it's all right. And I'm still convinced that, I mean, she knows, she said to me, she was pushed the last time. And I said, do you think that was a result of what you had done to somebody? And Mm -hmm. she said, yeah. I said, so do you regret it? She's like, no, I paid. (laughs) Yeah. The the nonchalance, like just the... Yeah, I paid it. I'm good. I completely get it. So I'm like, good for you. So anyway, so yeah. And then you've got, and I like that they broke down baneful magic. So you've got a curse, a hex, banishing, and binding. Curse is permanent. Hex is short term. And realistically, like most of the hexes, quote unquote, that I'm doing are bindings. Okay. Most of the hexes that I'm working with are like, fuck off, keep my name out of your mouth, etc. And like, that's, that's a binding. Yeah. For me, it was nice to see someone else's breakdown um, because I think I just use hex for all baneful magic. I think that that's, I just refer to any baneful right. magic I'm doing as a hex. But, you know, it is nice to have a breakdown because maybe I, I take... Long-term shit, I think, a little bit more seriously than I would take short-term shit. So maybe I do need to be calling them different things. Yeah. And as far as bindings, 
I was in a class where I learned how to use like runes. So you can, mm-hmm. looks like you're just moving your hands, but you're doing something. And you can just get somebody to just kind of like shut the fuck up. Oh, I love that. Now, I don't we use do it. I don't use it. But <laughs> you need to teach me it. I, I think, I really think it's quite possible when I go to meetings from now on, there might be, there might be some of that shit going on because honestly, I've kind of like had it with people. So, <laughs> um, so baneful magic, they, they, they do go on to say baneful magic is reserved for emergencies or last resort. And I thought that was interesting because for a practice that is first and foremost magical practice and all magic is magic. Mm-hmm. The fact that even though they don't have these stops or laws or anything, they still say, but you know what? We only do this when we really have to. Yeah. Well, I, I think it's part of the reason why you have the the little exercise that's like, what what do you think about these questions what do you think about baneful magic what are your ethics because realistically there are people out there who are like oh yeah an emergency is anytime someone inconveniences me right so you know having to sit down and be like all right what do i feel about that and i I like that in any book that gives you an exercise to be like what is what is it for me because you know i think we're all in neo-pagan religions because we don't like to be told what to do so it's nice to not be told what to do (laughs) yeah but i also think it's nice that they say look you can do whatever you want just be ready to pay the consequences because there is a a yin yang there is a give and take you know if you push something else is pulling so just you know think about that and then they talk about chapter four are the tools yes which some of them are different yes so things that are the same You've got a broomstick, yes, which is for sweeping, right? Uh, it's also for hedge crossing, so that's a completely different thing than Wicca. Yeah. You've got a knife. You don't have anathema. You've got candles and incense. Okay, natural items. I think that Wicca, or at least Neo Wicca, does that. Cup mm-hmm. for an offering. That's going to be new. I don't really think we have cups. I have one on my altar, but well, you use a chalice in Wicca. But I don't put an offering in my chalice. That's true. So, but I do have a dish where I have an, where it's an offering bowl for me. Mm-hmm. But again, my practice is all over the place. Um, <laughs> uh, what else? They have a cauldron, yes. symbol of the witch mother. Yes. It's where you can transform things, make things. Yes. That's the same as Wicca. But then we have, I think, my favorite tool that I had never heard of before, the stang. Yes. It's a ritual staff. The stang for me, it gives very, um, I don't remember the word for it, but when you're like trying to, f- when you're like trying to find water and you take that two, two-ended stick. Right, what is that called? I don't remember. I don't remember, but that's like, for me, I was like, oh my God, this is, this must be where this came from. Is that augury? When you're trying to no, find? No, augury is listening to the birds. Oh, then what the heck is that? I know what you're talking about. Okay. I know. Well, I don't remember. Well, now people know well, what it hey, looks like. Hey, listeners, tell us. Somebody message me and tell me what it is. I feel like the minute we stop recording, we're going to remember the name. But anyway. Yeah, that sounds like us. It's supposed to represent the witch father. So here we go. Not God and oh, Goddess. Yeah, let's, do it. let's do it. We've got witch father and witch mother. When you say let's do it, what are we doing? I'm so excited. I want to skip to chapter seven and talk about who the witch father is. That's what I want to do. Okay, so we're going to skip. So I'm just going to tell you the chapter five is rituals which 
you know, you can read them. I mean, we don't have to go over the rituals that they have, yeah. right? Then we have, I mean, eh, communion with spirits. Then we have spellcraft. So they really differentiate between high magic, which is... Which is like ceremonial. And you need to be able to know how to read. And I think that's a really important thing that they, they mention there. Yeah. Because it shows the privilege when people say, well, ceremonial magic. You had to have privilege to be able to, back in the day, perform ceremonial magic. So to yeah. say to yourself, well, you know, I'm Wiccan. Well, you have a book of shadows. That means you know how to read and write. Good for you. But there are other people. Why should they be denied a magical practice if they can't read and write? And, of course, we're talking about, what, 1700s or something. So low yeah. magic, commonly tied to day-to-day, um, you know, stuff, stuff with the magical world and folk magic. So, and also they talk about, okay, but before we go on, because we're almost there. Yes. The witch's bottles. Which I feel like I see all over Instagram. People are making witch's bottles all the time. Oh, yeah. That's a thing. The only time I ever saw witch bottles was in, I, I don't know if I'm wrong, but it could be Corwin House, which is the witch house in Salem. Mm-hmm. And they said what's in it, right? It's a protection. I'm sorry, I don't want to use urine. I just don't want to. And I know that that's dumb because it's it's a natural process. We all defecate. We all. But I feel like that's a bit much at that point. Okay. I lied. We can do the witch father in a minute. I do have a, I do have opinions on this as well. Um, I understand the magical value of tag locks. And a tag mm-hmm. lock is any kind of physical part of you that connects you directly to the spell. Um, but, and maybe this is just cause I'm old. Uh, I, I don't ever want to use any part of me in magic. Um, to like, I always tell people don't give a witch your hair. Oh, yeah. So like for me, it's sort of, um, it's just this aversion that I have where it's like, yeah, I could put my hair or pee in a cup or use my period blood. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't want anything magical to be directly tied to my essence because like what if the spell goes wrong okay i feel that yeah what if somebody you know and i mean like i'm not a big believer in like baneful witches being out there fucking up your shit all the time but like what if somebody's out there trying to fuck up your shit and you just left them your shit literally like you left your shit yeah um so it just like also it's gross and like i it's we're allowed to say it's gross. It's gross. I don't want to collect my pee. Yeah. I barely want to do it for the doctor. I was gonna say um, that's like the worst thing in the world. Like the idea of doing it willingly for like a spell is yeah. like no. It just for me, like I actually am more willing to do baneful magic than I am to tag lock. I think tag locking is emergencies only. Okay, if I really had a dire emergency where I had to do that, I still wouldn't use my urine, I'd use my blood. I would use my hair. I wouldn't even use either (laughs) because urine although part of you is a waste product that's true blood and again it's all the association the witch has to it and for me blood is what i need to keep going through my veins to survive so if i really wanted to fuck somebody up i'd use my blood hair can also be cut which is why i would use it i know but that's why I, i if i really wanted to fuck somebody up i'd use my blood or like fingernails. I would use my fingernails. Well, you know, I have a story about that doll and fingernails. I don't know what they did to that poor person. Yeah. They did something to him. I keep seeing on TikTok, African-Americans, like guys cutting off their locks. And then their girlfriend 
putting the lock in their own lock. And I'm going, are you insane? That's magic. (laughs) And I've seen a couple of hoodoo people on there, like just stitching it. And all you see is their faces looking in the camera like, what did this person do? Good for you, girl. Good for you. Yeah, but that's going to have consequences too, though. Oh, agreed. But it's going to be fun to watch. Well, yeah, from an outsider's (laughs) perspective, I'm there for it. Okay, I'm there for any kind of messed up things people want to do. I can't have pop- popcorn, but I will find another snack. And yes, but I mean. I'll eat the popcorn for you. There you go. But what are you, people, what are you doing? Yeah. Do not give somebody a piece of your hair. But whatever, you know, you do you. Um, is there anything else you wanted to mention before we go right into the witch father and witch mother? No, I'm so excited about the witch father. <laughs> I'm so excited about it. Okay, why are you excited about it? Okay, so I feel like we've talked about the devil a number of times on the podcast. And especially from you, you're like, I don't believe in the devil, like, blah, blah, blah. It's not a real thing. But, like, this was such a unique take, such an interesting take on witchcraft and the devil. Yeah. Because basically what Keldon says is you can't pretend like witchcraft hasn't been associated with the devil for basically ever to the point where the devil is now an archetype. And you're not working with Christian Satan. You're working with the devil archetype and as somebody who reads tarot i'm like holy shit that's fucking genius yeah i'm not gonna lie i like the devil not satan but after reading this i'm like oh yeah i could i could groove with him he's kind of cool do i think that this will like motivate me to be like working with the devil no no um i still don't think that i could say the words yeah i work with the devil and like not laugh but (laughs) But I do think that, like, it's sort of this specter that hangs over Mm neo-paganism. And you, no matter what type of pagan you are, you have to grapple with it. And for some of us, it's, you know, I don't do that. That's not for me, which is don't work with the devil. For some people, it's I'm going straight to Satanism or Luciferianism. Like, I fully believe in the devil and I'm using that archetype. But this is a really powerful, powerful middle ground that I don't, I personally never considered this idea that, like, yeah, the devil is an archetype, right? Regardless of whatever history religiously is associated with it. Because, like, there's a devil figure in most religions. There's a trickster in almost every religion that I can think of. And so, yeah, working with the witch father as the archetype of the devil, as the rebellious spirit, as, you know, the leader of lost souls. Like, I, I'm in. I totally love this idea. And it... it creates a space as a witch to work with a concept that can be i'm gonna go so far as to say really triggering for people Mm. um it is so maybe i will do it maybe i will oh my god so okay so let's get into it so the witch father is the bearer of light and bringer of death who else is the bearer of light lucifer he he literally is the light bearer so you know, yeah, not the same when you're talking about the devil, you know, Satan versus whatever. Um, but still this idea that of the light. Okay. He's not the Christian Satan. They say he is the representative of our primal human desires and the deeper, darker recesses of our psyche. Encourages free thinking, knowledge, empowerment, liberation, and rebellion. Everything's Christians oppose. Yeah. So as I'm reading this. And I thought, you know, human desires, the deeper, darker recesses, our shadow selves, 
the shelves, the shelves mm-hmm. that we don't really want to work with. And there's been a lot of, you know, push now to delve into doing shadow work because it's part of you, right? Yeah. This idea of saying, I can't work with it or I, I want to not even think about it is not really going to push you forward in your practice. So, you know, I'm reading that and I'm going, yes, okay, mm-hmm. not not a bad dude. I like this concept and I think that so this is this is it chapter two and chapter seven to me are the most important chapters it was so cool I mean I never thought of that idea before he brings up Aradia again that we've talked about yes right this whole idea that Lucifer is the sun brother to moon Diana they have Aradia she is like the queen of the witches so there's so much tied into when you're looking at folklore and witches. And if we're totally honest, I mean, I even look around my home and some of the art that I have, and some of it is taken from artwork where witches are at a witch's Sabbath, which we're going to talk about here too, which I thought was really exciting to talk about. Yes, It's all around us. And we kind of, I think for a lot of us, we don't know what to do with it. Because it's not something yeah. we work with. So that was interesting. Of course, we have the um, witch mother, who is the creatrix and the weaver of fate. And I do like that the way she's discussed in this book is very much crone energy. Yeah. Um, and I've, I've been thinking a lot about this maiden mother crone concept being a, a mother now. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's, it's just all maidens. And I know I mentioned that in um, when we talked about witchy mama. But it's a lot of maiden energy in our, not only in our modern pagan movement, but like even when you look at the goddesses that most people work with, like it's a lot of maiden energy. So it's really nice to be like, yeah, she, she old hags. That's the energy that you're working with here. Old ass biddies who are fully ready to fuck up your shit. And I mean, obviously, there's other, there's maiden and mother in it too, but it's nice to just give the crone some time to be the crone. Yeah, I don't think we want to give the crone any kind of, it, it's our fear of our own mortality. Absolutely. You know, so everybody wants to be the maiden and the mother. Nobody wants to go into cronehood. Yeah. <sighs> Nobody wants to be Baba Yaga. Right. Everybody wants to be Hecate. Actually, I wouldn't mind. You know what I'm saying? Being Baba Yaga. Yeah. I also wouldn't mind a right? chicken house, a little chicken foot house. Come on. It's cool. Be in. I, yes. I want that. Anyway, so then we move on to ancestors, familiars, and fetches. Yes. They are personal and practical spirits who often magically intercede on our behalf. So here we go. Ancestors. They can be your family. They can be land-based ancestors, so spirits of the land that you are currently inhabiting. People or the bones, like the people who built the land. So it doesn't have to be just mm-hmm. like land sprites or spirits that you're thinking about, like the, you know, the, the spirit of the mountains. It could be the spirit of the people who built whatever it is you're working, you're living in, yeah. right? And then, of course, you have familiars. No, ancestors can be spiritual, sorry, witches that have come before us. So you've got the family, which could be your blood relatives or other chosen family, land-based, 
either the people who built stuff on the land or the actual land, and then spiritual, which is who came before us. So it could be like reaching out to Gardner. And I do think that that is different from Wicca. Absolutely. I don't think that Wicca ever really can... Well, I don't think, based on what I've read, (laughs) Wicca considered ancestors. Yeah, not really, no. Yeah. So I can reach out to Gardner? We should we should do it. Oh my god, can we do it? Can we do it? I don't no. really want to do this, but can we do a seance and call Gerald Gardner? Oh my god. Next. I don't want to, but like I want to. <laughs> <laughs> Next, we have familiars, not physical pets, but otherworldly spirits. And they are also amoral. They heal and they hurt. So, you know, I don't know if this is that much different from how we see familiars generally, right? We know that they don't have yeah. to be pets. We know that they can come as pets. The spirit can be with the pet. And, you know, for me, my familiar was all about divination. My little guy mm-hmm. who's no longer here. And for people who are wondering how, what's going on with the new pet, he's a pet. Okay, we're sure? We're sure. He's a pet. Okay. Yeah. There's nothing else going on with him. He's adorable. He's whatever. But he's, he's really just a pet, which is okay. I'm fine with that. Is my familiar around in case somebody's wondering? It's weird because I don't have his ashes and his stuff on my altar. They're in another location. But I do find myself compelled to go over and talk to him. Is that just human grief? Is that something else? I will keep you posted. I don't know. (laughs) We'll check in in a little bit. We'll check in in a couple of months. I just figured this is a good place to check in with that because I know we mentioned the familiar, the, the new little guy. And no. I think whatever I saw in the very beginning was the fact that the other guy was still around. I think that's mm-hmm. what I was seeing, that energy. I think he was following him and following what Be- he did. That makes sense. That yeah. makes so much sense. That's what was going on. Yeah, he's not a familiar. Then we have the fetch spirits. And we talked a little bit about it. It's part of the witch's soul. So according to the book, witch's souls have three parts, or maybe all souls have three parts. The higher self, the mid-self, and lower self. The fetch is the lower self, so it's connected to the underworld, to our unconscious. Think of it as the id, if we're looking at this from Freud's id, ego, and superego. It is a copy of the witch or can be bestial in appearance. So on the one hand, it is your spirit animal, Um, like the animal of your spirit, not like an indigenous spirit animal concept. Right, right. But also... It's it's like your own poltergeist. Yes. Because if you're it's your primal instincts and if you're like upset enough, your fetch could like really just go crazy. Yes. But you'd have to actually get in touch with your fetch to really see really understand. What? Do you think poltergeists are just somebody's fetch? I mean, I think poltergeists can be a bunch of different things. I don't think it's just one. I think it's totally That's possible. Fair. That'd be pretty cool. I mean, it's the whole idea of a poltergeist is horrifying and I hate it, but that would be pretty cool. I know that if there is a book on fetches, I'm getting it and we're doing it on the podcast because I'm fascinated oh, by yeah. this. I love the idea yeah. of being able, you know, I don't know if it's just that I'm barreling into crone age um, head first or something, but like the older I get, the more I'm like, fuck some shit up you know like what could happen yeah. you know what's the worst that can yeah. happen you know so i think that by the time i'm actual like 80 well i'm actually i think i'll just be like 
I'm just going to call you up and go, remember that hex we talked about that we'd never do? Let's do it. Like, let's just let's do, do it. it. You know, what's going to happen? I'm going to die. I'm 80 what? years old. Who cares? So, <laughs> so let's see. So uh, offerings. So it's custom to give the spirits. Now, here's some of the things they talked about. Food and drink, blood and bodily fluids, fire and air, water and earth, music and art. Things I will never offer a spirit. Blood and bodily fluids. Well, <laughs> I have never offered blood, but I already mentioned. I don't know. Maybe some point in my life I may need to do that. Food and drink. Okay. Yes. I've done mm. that. Um, I'm trying to think. Music. Yes. Always. And I haven't actually played anything, but I, you know, maybe soon. And of the earth, I have ethically sourced bones that I have on my altar. Mm-hmm. So, yes, I have done that. I think they're pretty traditional offerings. Yeah. I mean, I don't really think this is done in Wicca, but again, I'm not exactly traditionally Wiccan, so I read that and went, yes, I get that. Yep. You know? Into the other world. So here we go again. We've got three parts. The upper world, inhabited by the gods. Not every traditional witch believes in the gods, but that's where they are. The midworld, that's us and the fae. Now, this was something that I thought was great. That the I feel mm-hmm. like the fae are in everything. They are just everywhere all the time. In every tradition, there's the fae. So th- there's something to be said for that. And then, okay, so there's something that I didn't say on the other podcast when we were talking about the fae when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Tell us, tell us. Okay, so we had Melissa from Light Club Curiosity Shop and Amy from Otherworldly Waxes and whatever. And we talked about, you know, or which is afraid of the dark. And Melissa started talking about the fae that were in her room when she was a kid. And I don't know if you noticed, but I was real quiet and just let them talk because I was debating whether I wanted to mention the fact that they would play. And I realized now in a liminal space, I would see them by my window. I would see these little guys mm-hmm. running around by the window. And I would close my eyes and then look, and there they would be. And sometimes they would get up on the curtains. Like, they were everywhere. And I just didn't mention it because I just thought, those were tricks my eyes were playing. And then Melissa's like, so the Fae were in my room when I was a kid. And I went, oh, okay. Oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyway. And then the underworld, where... <laughs> Where the ancestors are, and of course, some gods like Hades. Yes. Lovely. Yeah. So the main reason to go to the other world is communicating with spirits and working magic. And then we go into the witch's Sabbath, which is not the Sabbaths. It's not, you know, in bulk and, you know, all that. It's the Sabbath. T-H. This is more in line with the witch father as the devil. Yes. So a Sabbath, you get to connect with folklore, right? The heart and soul of witchcraft. They tap into the realm where myths and legends exist as a reality with the witch in the starring role. I have a natural aversion to the idea of the witch's Sabbath. And I guess I mentioned also like the idea of the devil. Mm -hmm. Um, And this book is the first time that I've really considered that that might be like a colonial patriarchal mindset and not like a moral thing. Um, 
And I, I don't, like, listen, guys, I don't have the answer to this. I'm just considering this because of this book right now. But I think that there is space to negotiate that. Um, you know, the, the way that the Witch's Sabbath is described here is, is not the image that we have been sold and like realistically that image was always propaganda so why was i falling for it so i said this on the podcast already um over the summer when i was getting tattooed and tattoo artist was like well maybe Gartner wasn't a dirty old man maybe it's just that our puritan beliefs in this country just have us Mm -hmm. and i just sat there my mind blown yeah because as much as we say well we're witches we don't fall for that We, we don't deal with that nonsense of you know christianity and their rules and their morals but we were brought up in this society and it's all over this society so the idea to think that we weren't touched by it we're being kind of cocky about it you know i mean we were i saw a, like an image on instagram and i should have screenshotted it uh and i didn't um but it's like a a woman who's you know all dressed up very high collar and she's got a corset on and she's saying to another woman have you no shame and the other woman is naked and fat and has a bush and is like <laughs> dancing around and the woman responds why would i want any and like wow the the description here of the witch's sabbath as a way to connect to the other world um and you know in my mind this kind of ecstatic experience feels okay like like why would i want to diminish specifically like in my case like female ecstasy why would i want to to look at that and say well that's that's bad that's evil like, what the what the fuck <laughs> i thought it was better than that yeah we really have been programmed and it's it's hard to get that programming out we have been programmed we are going to continue with the program and it's really hard sometimes to break out of it and but when you have those moments right like you're saying to yourself, why would I want to have shame? Why wouldn't I want to feel great about everything? Why wouldn't I want to dance like a lunatic in, you know, the full moon and connect to the other world? Like why, when that is described to me, do I immediately recoil? I mean, I grew up in the city. So for me, it's like, I hope there's nothing in the bushes that's going to come kill me. I mean, that, that <laughs> yeah, would be fair. my thought. Yeah, you'll, you would die. But if you said to me, okay, nothing is going to kill you. There are animals out here, but there are no bears. Like nothing's going to come and like attack you. No human is going to attack you. Yeah. Would you go out into the fields? And be, yeah, I think I, I, I would love to experience that. Who wouldn't want to experience that complete freedom? We are of the earth. We are of the spirit. We are part of this planet. Why can't we just take complete joy Yeah. in all of that? Life is hard enough. If we have moments of joy... Right? And that's, this is the devil. That's the this devil. This is the devil yeah. archetype. Yeah. To say, go against your programming. Right. It's good. This is a good book. <laughs> and like joy for the sake of joy. Like who is it benefiting? Yeah. Nobody. I just want to be happy. 
there's that TikTok sound that was going around a while ago that's like, why do you do what you do? Because it makes me happy. But why do you do it? Because it brings me joy. Why do you do it? Because it elevates my – like, you just keep saying that over and over instead of an actual reason. And, like, why not? We're always looking for why? permission. We're always looking for permission. Yeah, We're programmed. And I don't know if people who identify as men feel this way, but I definitely think that the humans that are female identifying are always looking for permission – for things. I think I think men are because there is that subset of like this I feel like this is mainly cis men but there's that subset of men in general where they're like you know oh I'm, I'm a traditional man I need a traditional woman and women should be subservient and blah 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 it's they've never they've never considered they've never been given permission to be soft to be vulnerable mm. they've never been given that permission and so for them the only way the world can work is if the women are the vulnerable ones and they have complete and total power because the minute they don't have power, they have no idea how to deal with those emotions. It's the same reason why white white people are like, oh, we're being replaced. Like, no, you're not. You just can't deal with the emotions of being not the most important person. You've never been given permission to be an equal. Wow. All right, well... You have to go back Not to, to like book. make this about how people need to like have feelings because like it's fucked up and men should be better and white people should be better, right? But like as a white people, I can say, hey, white people, it's okay to mourn the programming, right? It's okay to realize that you've been told a lie and be upset that that lie isn't true. You just have to then improve afterwards. There's so much programming. There's so much programming. You know, when I started teaching, I had brown hair. I was miserable. I was, <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I, I felt right. The programming is you get to a certain age, you cannot look a certain way anymore. Mm-hmm. Right. I actually had somebody tell me, I don't know if I told you this off the podcast, but um, I'm not going to say who it was, but somebody said to me, oh, you going through your midlife crisis? Cause I got a car. Yeah. When I did that. And I was like, I've been dying my hair since I was 16. Yeah. But that's the programming, right? Like, you lose your mind somewhere in your 40s. You go nuts, okay? (laughs) Or in your your 30s for some people, right? 30s and 40s, you go nuts and you get a convertible or you do something, you know, drastic to yourself. And that's okay, provided, right, it's the crisis, but then you come back. Yeah. Right? Well, because realistically, the midlife crisis is grappling with the reality that you worked like a bitch through your 20s and 30s and now you have some extra money and nothing to show for it right the midlife crisis is realizing that like whatever dream you had as a child is fucking dead and so you're going to replace that with a fancy car or you know changing your whole style Everything is just about dealing with our emotions. We're all, we all need to go to therapy. That's where I'm at. <laughs> I mean, then I had my midlife crisis when I hit like 22 because all I wanted as a child was to somehow magically make money by working part time somewhere and just leading this Preach. bohemian life, like just having like some mm-hmm. apartment somewhere. You can't do that in New York. You can't work part time. You can't do that anywhere. Yeah, that's true. You can't even work full time, like in a shop. You're not going to have yeah. an apartment. So, you know, the dream was dead when I was 22. When, you know, I finally was like, I'm moving out. I was like, oh, 
wait, it costs how much? So, you know, yeah. it, it was dead then. That's all I ever wanted. I, I never had like these big, crazy dreams. I don't know. It's just, again, permission. Give yourself permission. And again, I think I'm lucky because I work where I work, right? I'm not on Wall Street. Although yeah. I have to admit, when I worked in an office, I also had red, like fire engine red highlights. I wasn't exactly... I, I still wore a suit, but I looked a little bit different than everybody else. I will say, I do think a lot of us have this programming of you can't look a certain way in a corporate environment. And like, that's not the case a lot of times nowadays. Like, they're just kind of coasting on the fact that that's what most of us believe. Yeah. But like, and this is the important thing, is like, you have to look at your actual experiences. Because as much as I am always in the back of my mind, like, oh, you know, if I get if I get too many visible tattoos, people are going to judge me. Like, I've actually never had a person judge me. I've never had a person look at me, except my mom. Um, I've never had a person look at me and be like, oh, uh, you, you know, your tattoos are so gross. Why would you do that? No, but they might be thinking it. They can think whatever the fuck they want. Think it in your head. As somebody who has been judged her whole life based on how she looks. And when I say look, I mean, am I too brown? Am I not brown enough mm-hmm. for some people because I'm I'm light? You know, I'm not like, you know, I, I don't know. People are like, you look white. I'm like, I think I have a little color to me. So I don't really know what that means, you know. Well, you're definitely darker than me. Yeah. Everybody's <laughs> darker than you. Okay. Like, are you kidding me? Paper. Not my kid. Paper my kid is darker. Is than me. Oh my God. But your kid is so cute. Yeah. But, you know, so when you say that, I'm like, oh, I know what it's like to be judged, whether I wear a certain thing or not. Even if I'm trying mm-hmm. to like fit in, I'm still judged by some people. So I'm like, well, you know, I've had that. But again, it's all about the programming. And this is where I guess I started to fall in love with this book mm-hmm. because it made me question some of the programming I had, like the devil, like yeah. trance. Like the first time I read it, I'd know that I rolled my eyes. Like, oh, these witches have to go into a trance. And then I went, wait, mm-hmm. hold on a second. I kind of do that too, but we don't call it a trance, if that makes mm-hmm. sense, right? So I almost feel like they're just being out front with it. Like, look, this makes you uncomfortable, but this is what it is. This is what we do. Yeah. Okay. Then they talk about flying ointment. And I loved how careful they were in the writing of this. Yes. You could die. Please don't die. Please don't start mixing these things. Right? I'm giving this information, but you want to start. And they even gave a recipe for flying ointment without the poisonous plants. And I thought that was wonderful. I also thought it was wonderful that they said, well, if you want to buy it, you can buy it. But be careful. Do your research on who this person is. Mm -hmm. Don't just use flying, flying ointment. I have never used it. I have been very curious. Is it something that I will try? Probably. I'll keep you posted. Um, And then, of course, you have part four, working with the natural landscape. Engaging with the land. Go ahead. Loved. Um, So, first of all, I love the discussion of bioregionalism in Chapter 10. Because I do think that, Mm -hmm. I mean, first of all, that's not a thing that's discussed in Wicca. But also, it's a thing that was just in its infancy when I was starting witchcraft so to see it like beautifully displayed in a book like this it's like wow we've really come a long way you should be focused on your region you should be focused on your natural environment um the idea of meeting the genius loci is delightful i mean Mm. i think it for me i would be working with um sort of like the epithets of gods 
in certain places. So when I was in college, it was Hermes of um, the bear, right? And there was this bear statue um, or mm. you know, Aphrodite of Canisius Lake. The epithets of the gods in the location that you're at. So the idea of like, let's meet the spirit of the land. Yeah, let, you should do that. You should know the energy of the place that you're in. Instead of, like, being this very, again, colonial mindset of, like, I am on this place. No, you're in this place. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, like you said, it was in its infancy way back when. I think that even Wiccans are very much absolutely. recognizing that this is a thing that needs to be done. You know, but that's, yeah. that is very modern. That is of now. Then yes. we go back to the fair folk. Okay, so I love this. There are several, nobody knows where they came from. As they should not. But, <laughs> but there are a couple of origin stories. One says that they are spirits of the dead that merge with the earthly landscape. <gasps> I really I like that. Because then what that means is, because when you think about the fair folk, you're thinking about Ireland, you're thinking about, right, mm -hmm. far away, we're in America, boo. But then when you hear this, you go, oh, that means that they're, they're everywhere. <laughs> they're everywhere, which we yeah. already knew, but they're everywhere. Some people say, or some origin stories are, they came from heaven, spirits who followed Lucifer, which would make a lot of sense because yeah. they're tricksters. They will mess you up. They're amoral creatures. They will help you or harm you as they like. Yeah. So in other words, there's not much you can do about it. They're going to do whatever they want. I have so much respect for them. I just think they are like the coolest. For I don't know me, why. I just I'm very much like I don't want to know where they came from because the mystery of not knowing, <laughs> I think, is like so on brand. It's so it it just adds to like understanding themselves the way that you really should. Like, oh, I don't know where they're from and I'm not allowed to. That's not for me. That's for them. Yeah. Okay, so at some point Probably next year, we will discuss something that has been happening with mm -hmm. me. You know what it is. Oh, yes. We'll talk about it next year. Yes, so, yes, yes. you know, for a long time, I was very wary, worried. I, there, was, there was a particular entity I did not want to work mm -hmm. with at all. I heard so many things. And then I had no choice. And now that I am on the other side, you know, nowhere near where I should be, but on the other side of it. I'm like, what was I worried about all these years? Like, mm -hmm. what was the fear? And I think that's where I'm coming with the fair folk, where it's like, you know what? Yes. I, they're everywhere. And I think at some point we all have to not necessarily work with them, but acknowledge them or something. Do you, know. you know what? That's just my thoughts. Wanna, um, let's do this, too. Um, all right. She threw the book. This is just she threw the book. Yeah. All right, I threw the ahead. book because I'm talking mm -hmm. about the fair folk now. There's a movie that I watched when I was a child, and I do not remember the name of the movie, but it's basically about this little girl who sees fairies and is able to, like, get pictures of fairies, and then, um, like, the you know, the, the populace finds out about it, and then she has to protect the fairies and pretend, like, oh, no, these are all fake, but, like, the fairies are real. I don't, I'm not describing this properly, but it's a movie about a little girl who can see fairies, and I had it in my head that that's what it was going to be like, that I was mm -hmm. going to walk out into the forest, and they were going to choose me, and this is my entire, entire spiritual practice, my entire life has yeah. been about realizing that I have to make the choice. That I don't get chosen. 
I have to choose. And that's sort of the whole point of free will and blah, blah, blah. Like, you have to choose. So I was waiting and waiting and waiting yeah. for fairies to be like, yeah, we're real. Come hang out with us. When in reality, that's like the least thing you want from the fae. If the fae are like, <laughs> we're real, come hang out with us, you never come back. <laughs> right? Like... That's it literally is the opposite of what you want. But I was so enamored with this idea of being chosen that I didn't do what I could have done from the beginning, which is yeah. work with the Fae, who I have always been interested think... in and always felt a connection to. So I needed to son of a bitch, I needed to give myself permission. Fuck. There you go. This this whole episode has been about giving yourself permission to do what you really want to do, what you yeah. really feel in your gut. And like you said, you always were attracted to working with. You know, keep them outside of the house. That's the only thing. Oh, they're, yeah, they're yeah, out, yeah. Outdoor cats, not indoor cats. <laughs> Just. All right. So chapter 11 is about plants, stones, and animals. And stones can also be like, consider them the bones of the earth. Wow. When I Beautiful. read that, I was like, I'm, I'm in love with that. Mm-hmm. So I'm you know, trying to think of what else we want to talk about. Well, that's so fitting because you're always the one on the podcast that's like, do you really need the crystals? Do you really need to be taking them? And it's like, oh, yeah, because you're literally digging up bones. How many do you need? A lot. I, I, I really do not have a lot of crystals at all. It's like I'm very wary of taking more than I actually really yeah. need. Right? Um, the earth needs them as well. So then chapter 12 is about the seasons, weather, and plants. Chapter 13, establishing your traditional practice. And that really is the end of the book. They have a glossary at the end. I, I don't think we even did this book justice. You know, usually by the end of the podcast, I feel like, you know what? We really did the book justice. People can have a good understanding of what the book is. I'm not saying you don't have a good understanding now that you've listened to us, but there's so much in this book. It's a great read. It's, it's a quick read, too. It's like they write. Their style is fantastic. The point of this book is not to determine whether or not traditional witchcraft is or is not Wicca. The point of this book is to deprogram a little bit of Wicca. And we have to do that because Wicca, as we've said before, is kind of the basis of the modern neo-pagan movement. So as much as we are deprogramming colonialism and, and puritanism and all of that, we also have to take a look at our practice and go, okay, well, is this thing exactly the way we think about it? And I think that there are so many moments in this book where you read something and you're like, oh shit, I never considered it like that. Or, oh shit, why wouldn't, why wouldn't this be the way that I approach this, this magic or this entity or this idea? Um, And I think that that's like, I think we did do the book justice in a more abstract sense. I don't think you listen to this podcast and you like know what's going on in the book. Right. I think you listen to this podcast and you know what this book is about. Yeah. And I think that's what we try to do with all of them. So then when you buy it, and we hope you buy some of the books that we talk about, if not all of the yeah. books, you know what you're getting yourself into. You have an idea of what our thoughts are. And then hopefully, I think if you're Wiccan and you're like, I have no interest in traditional witchcraft, you need to buy this book. You more than most people. Yeah. Just really give yourself, like we've said, the permission Yeah. to look at all this and say, wow, 
okay, this is similar. This is different. Where did this come from? What am I drawn to? What just makes sense to me when I read this book? Now, there is one thing that they do end with, and that is covens, joining other traditional witches. There are some, Mm -hmm. but for the most part, traditional witches work solitary. And I'm going to say, for a lot of reasons, I can see a lot of reasons why people are drawn to traditional witchcraft. But I think one of the reasons they're going to be drawn to, to this is you're not going to have somebody saying, well, you're not valid. Yeah. How many degrees do you have? Right? It's not about that. So I think if I had known more about traditional witchcraft when I started, I do like my Sabbaths, though. But I think that... I might have seen myself more of a traditional traditional witch. Yeah. Just based on that. I think people are getting over that whole coven thing. But you still have some people that are very much, you know, what tradition are you? What coven are you a part yeah. of? And, you know, traditional witches are just like, you know, to hell with it. They're the ones Quite that... Literally. <laughs> literally, yeah. Me and the devil are saying to hell with your Wicca. Um, <laughs> no, but seriously, I, I feel like if you've ever wondered... If you're a witch and you've ever wondered why you might be drawn to some darker things, mm-hmm. I think traditional witchcraft will tell you why. It'll yeah. explain the origins of some things. It will have you looking at your practice just a little bit differently. It'll also, like we've always said, when you read something different, you realize we're not all that different, are we? Yeah. You know, we're all doing kind of the same things. And yeah, this is this is great. I thought it was a great book. I would like us to do more books on traditional witchcraft. I'd love to hear what people think. Would you like us to read more books? Is there something that you're like, oh my God, I'm a traditional witch and this is the book you must read for this particular thing, right? It doesn't have to be an intro book. It could be specifically about something. Let us know. Email us. Send us a message on Instagram. Let us find out what else we can read on here because I'm I'm hooked. I want to read more. Yeah. And I will read anything that Scorpio picks. So... Um, we love to hear from you so please reach out tell us if you liked this episode if you liked other episodes if you hated an episode tell Scorpio not me I'm emotionally fragile oh my Um, god but you can of course email us at witchspaceco at gmail.com or hit us up in the dms our instagram handle is at witchspaceco thank you to Kano and Moore for our intro and outro music and remember if you're following the moons you're following us Mm